Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Low Bar, where we drink and talk about true crime. I'm Jay, your bartender. Tonight, I'm drinking a Spire Winery 2020 Pinotage. It's a nice, easy-drinking red with a kind of personal history behind it. Um, it always brings me a bit of a smile. It's kind of like a comfort drink. There's like one store where I can find it easily around here, too. Thankfully, it's a conveniently placed. Uh, must be fate or something. Last week we talked about the Boston Strangler, which is always a fun time. Uh, unless, you know, you happen to meet up with him in person, which would be kind of a challenge these days. But, you know, there probably are still people kicking around who lost family to him. And I certainly don't want to denigrate that. Um, still, I've always found that case to be particularly fascinating. Uh, even before I came to Boston. Probably because, you know, his crimes had a distinctly sexual nature and Boston has such a, a reputation for being kind of buttoned up and stuffy. Um, you know, and that kind of juxtaposition always kind of drew my mind. Um... Boston does not deserve the reputation of being buttoned up and stuffy. Button is the drunk. Boston is <laughs> Boston is the drunkest city in the country, and you don't know uninhibited until you've sat in the bleachers during a day game at Fenway. I'm just saying. It's also safely in the past by fifty years and more. The killer is safely dead, and he died well before my light shone on this world. Today's case isn't quite like that. We'll be looking at a triple homicide that took place in a town where I've both walked my dog, gotten horribly lost, and uh, where I went to grad school. The oldest victim was closer to my age, and all, th all of the victims, all three of them, still have friends and family in the area. Uh, one of those friends has even written a book about the homicides, which is due out in June of 2022. And yes, I have pre-ordered it. Uh, if nothing else, I owe the author. They wrote a number of articles that were fantastic resources for me. Um, they really outlined the players and what happened when in a fantastic way that really helped me to wrap my head around some things that might not have made a whole lot of sense otherwise. Um... This case also touches on a terrorist attack that was national news, uh, unlike the triple homicide that is the focus of our story today. Um, and part of me almost feels like it's too soon to talk about anything that happened in this century, uh, <laughs> but especially something that was so traumatizing for so many people. Um, especially that particular attack, but, you know, Hollywood apparently didn't waste any time making an actual feature film about it, uh, which I have not seen, because, you know, you can probably tell that I am not okay with it. Uh, so why not a podcast? Um, you know, I will warn for graphic depictions of violence. Uh, lest I stall any further. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of pathetic. Let's get on to the Waltham Triple Slaying of 2011.
so the homicide um, homicides on September 12th of 2011 a woman went to her ex-boyfriend's apartment on a cul-de-sac in Waltham Massachusetts to talk to her ex-boyfriend um, Brendan Mess their relationship had been tumultuous and so apparently was their breakup uh, which was recent when she arrived he didn't answer the door but she decided to enter the apartment anyway. Um, apparently, him not answering the door sparked concern. And, well, she did. Because when she opened the door, she found his body and those of two of his friends, Eric Weissman and Raphael Tekken, sometimes known as Rafi, um, all three had had their throats slit so deeply that they seemed to have almost been decapitated. Seven pounds of marijuana had been left with the bodies, along with approximately $5,000 in cash. Um, this was obviously pretty traumatic for the lady in question. Um, police were summoned to the scene, which is a reasonable thing to do when you find three nearly decapitated bodies. Um, Waltham police were involved with the investigation, but most murders in Massachusetts, outside of Boston, Worcester, and Springfield, are actually handled by the state police. Um, this was the case here. The assumption was that this was a drug crime. Uh, all three victims were known to have side businesses uh, selling marijuana. Now. Mar marijuana for recreational use is legal in Massachusetts today. It was not in 2011. Um, this may have been why the police officers behaved the way that they did towards the families. I don't know. Um, the victims ranged widely in age from 25 to 37. They had two very important things in common. All three were Jewish, although their, the degree of their observance differed. In fact, some, some sources don't even list Brendan Mess as Jewish, but um, people who knew him will say, yeah, he was, he just wasn't particularly observant, as opposed to the, to the other two victims who were um, a lot more I don't want to say observant, because I don't know these guys personally, but they were a lot more dedicated to their faith. Um, all three of them were also committed fitness enthusiasts. They, these were strong, physically fit guys. Um, Weissman was a bodybuilder. Tekken was a personal trainer. And Mess was actually a martial arts instructor and had built up a reputation for himself on the local mixed martial arts circuit. Um, I do not know anything about the local mixed martial arts circuit. <laughs> Please don't ask me about it because I can't help you. <laughs> the case went cold very quickly. Uh, according to family and friends, investigators said that they were waiting for something to shake loose. About a year and a half later, something did shake loose and it was a doozy.
On April 15, 2013, two bombs exploded near the finish line at the Boston Marathon. If you're American, or if you're a running enthusiast, you might remember that. Um, or just, if you're into running, I guess, whatever floats your boat, just don't drag me into it. Um, three people were killed, to include a child, more people were injured, and there was a citywide manhunt that jammed up the area for days. You may be thinking, sure, Jay, we all remember that, and it's sad and everything, and there was a whole thing about pressure, co pressure cookers. But what does this have to do with a drug-related triple homicide in the suburbs? Pour yourself another round, and I'll explain. On April 22, 2013, the Boston Globe first connected the Tsarnaev brothers, the brothers who committed the marathon bombing, to the Waltham murders. Um, which I honestly never saw coming. The Middlesex County District Attorney's Office admitted that they were investigating the possible connection of the elder brother, Tamerlan Sarnev, who is now deceased by this point, to the Waltham slaying. Tamerlan Sarnev had been very close to the youngest victim, Brendan Mess. They were involved with the mixed martial arts scene, they sparred together, they trained together. According to some sources, but not all, they had a bit of a falling out a few months before the murders due to Tamerlan's disapproval of Mess's lifestyle, uh, which roughly coincides with the time when Tamerlan began to radicalize. Um, Tamerlan was known to have referred to Mess as his best friend, but he did not attend the memorial service or funeral. Cell phone records indicate that both brothers were near Mess's apartment on the night of the murders, but it's possible that Jokar's phone had simply been left in his brother's car because teenagers do that. And um, well, you'll you'll see the rest. Why am I giving any leeway to a man who bombed the Boston Marathon? Um, you know, I mean, even though, you know, it's been established that Tamerlan was probably the mastermind of the whole thing, you know, it's not like Jokar wasn't a grown man, you know? <laughs> I mean, he, he killed three people to include a child. He intended to kill more. They shot, they shot a police officer at MIT who I probably had contact with at some point, you know, they, they're not people that I should really be looking to cut any slack, right? Well, I'm looking to be, I'm trying to be very careful about identifying the younger brother with this murder because someone else confessed to his involvement with Tamerlan in this particular 2011 homicide, um, and he had no motive whatsoever to hide Jokar's role if he had been there. This man's name is Ibrahim Todoshev, and I might be mispronouncing this name. Um, if so, I apologize. I'm a little out of it today. Um, 
Tereshev was a, another member of the Boston mixed martial arts scene, a Chechen immigrant, a friend of Tamerlan. After the murders, he moved to Orlando, where the FBI caught up with him uh, in the wake of the Marathon bombing. Uh, he had, or confessed to, I can't begin to speculate, no involvement with the bombing. Um, you know, he was in Orlando by this point. Um, he had his own troubles. <laughs> he did, however, admit to being the other man in the Waltham murders. Uh, witnesses saw two un unidentified men in the area. Police were right. Uh, they had speculated that this was a robbery gone bad relating to the victim's drug business, and they were right. Tamerlan and Tereshev were intent, went in there with the intent to rob people that they knew were dealing drugs. Um, there was some indication in some of the documentation about some kind of a, a weird, shadowy underworld involving Chechen like a Chechen marijuana empire, but there's no indication that Tamerlan was involved with it. I don't really, I was just kind of struck by it because this whole thing was happening under my nose and I had no idea. <laughs> I live in the suburbs, you know, it's weird. <laughs> but anyway, these guys weren't doing enforcement for any kind of shadowy Chechen underworld group of marijuana salespeople. <laughs> they were just doing their own thing. They wanted the money. That's what they cared about. But according to Todashev, Tamerlan decided that they weren't going to leave any wit living witnesses behind them. Um, we aren't able to get any more details out of Todashev because, according to FBI agents, he allegedly randomly attacked agents in the middle of his confession and had to be shot and killed. But more on that later. This section is called The Aftermath, and... Um... Yeah, there's a whole lot of after aftermath to this case, and I think a lot of it is still kind of blossoming. What can you really say about how this case ballooned out? Um, it's bad enough to know that your family member or friend was killed. Then the police start abusing you and treating you like you're the suspect. And then, just as you maybe start to heal a little... It turns out that they were killed by one of the terrorists who bombed the actual Boston Marathon. And technically, the case is still open. Oh wait, did I leave that part out? Both of the main suspects are dead. There isn't any conclusive proof either way. And since Todashev died in the middle of his confession, it apparently doesn't count. Um, anyone who was associated with Todashev was deported, and I have to say that the behavior around those deportations 
doesn't exactly fill me with pride in my country. Um, I cannot honestly imagine what the families of those three Waltham victims must be going through. Um, family members of the three Waltham victims were not impressed with the investigators in the original homicides. Um, they said investigators are verbally abusive towards them and accused them of hiding information, failing to cooperate with the investigation. Um, when I read the family's experiences, I have to admit that I was appalled. None of these guys lived at home. Why would they think the families would know who the killers were? Why would they think that they had any information? You know, all of them were grown. All of them had been out of the family home for quite some time. You know, why would they think that the guy's little sister would know, you know, who had killed him? You know, and frankly, why would they think that verbal abuse would be the way to get information, even if the families had it to begin with? You know, I mean, I'm not... I'm not a detective, maybe that's an effective technique with some people, but, you know, it's certainly not a way to compel cooperation from me. Um, so, in Jokar's initial trial, defense attorneys appear to have tried to block any mention of the Waltham slayings as being prejudicial against their client. And, yeah, I can kind of see that. You know, it's a pretty grisly case, and people were already, you know, kind of inflamed about terrorism and you know, the, the mess about the, the marathon bombings, they didn't need the addition of unprovable accusations related to the Waltham slaying. Um, during his appeal, it seems that they were willing to include the Waltham slayings as Tadashev's confession showed that he hadn't done it. Um, I was only able to find part of the documentation involved, uh, volume three to be specific, and I will be very honest with you, it made me kind of want to go to sleep. <laughs> Not that it's funny, but you know, you're kind of coming in on the, it started on, I think, page 956. And you're kind of coming in uh, in the middle of everything, and it's all in legalese, <laughs> and a lot of it is repetitive, and it's a very good thing that I didn't go to law school. My grandmother kind of wanted me to, but I didn't. Um, I'm still not positive, after all that, I'm still not positive that the Waltham killings were ever introduced into his appeal. But we do know that his death sentence was overturned, and he will spend the rest of his natural life in prison. And, you know, that is what it is, whether you support or 
do not support the death penalty for this particular person. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say about this aftermath without getting into some of the other issues that we'll discuss in the next section. But there were a lot of lives that were touched and affected by the way that this case expanded. Yeah, you can tell that I'm trying to avoid certain terms here. And it's the kind of thing that you never think of when you're looking at an otherwise fairly simple, um, a fairly simple triple homicide. I mean, that's so odd to say, but, you know, it appeared to be a fairly open and shut. I mean, there was marijuana right there on the bodies. You know, it seemed to be a pretty simple drug-related crime, and... You know, one of the consequences of prohibition is violence. You know, we learned that back in the 20s. But you never really think that a drug-related crime is going to somehow touch on a terrorist attack. Um, but that's what happened. And it just kind of... All right, so now we have analysis. What can we take away from this case other than try not to get killed in Waltham if you can possibly avoid it? Um, which is sound advice no matter what the circumstances. <laughs> Or what town you're in, really. <laughs> well, one of the things that makes me most uncomfortable is the deportations of people associated with Tadashev. There may be other factors involved here, and there could be national security reasons that they aren't being disclosed. I don't know, but... One of the most important factors in a democracy is transparency. And we aren't seeing that with these individuals. Um, I get that Todeshev wasn't exactly a model citizen. Um, he might not have been a citizen at all, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. At least two of the people he left, who were left behind when he was killed were detained just past check-in dates with immigration. They told, immigration, they told the authorities detaining them that they needed to check in with immigration, and then they were deported for, mission, for missing their check-ins. Um, one man told a reporter that an FBI agent encouraged him to press charges against someone else in an incident that had been long forgotten, um, that then required him to file charges against the man who knew Todeshev, 
in the same incident, and he had never intended to press charges against that guy. Um, but he had to do that if he wanted to press charges against the first guy, and this resulted in the deportation of the Todeshev associate. The person pressing the charges seemed to indicate that he would not have done so if he had known that the guy would be deported. Um, and the indication that I, the impression that I got from the article was that it was not disclosed to him that it would have such a, a consequence, that the incident had been relatively minor. Um, and frankly, that's shady. That's very, very shady. I can't find a motivation for it. I can't find one that makes sense. Um, the only thing that I can think of would be to cover something up, and what would that be? None of them were in the room with Todeshev when he was killed. None of them were with Todeshev and Tamerlan when they were, when they committed the Waltham murder. So, you know, before you accuse me of going all Alex Jones on you, even that doesn't make sense. You know, I can't think of a decent excuse. I can't think of a decent reason. Um, for that matter, though, Tereshev's death is a little odd. Um, according to reports, he was being interrogated in his own apartment where he was writing out his confession. Um, wouldn't it make more sense to do that in the Orlando field office where it would be recorded? Shouldn't a suspect with Todeshev's history be restrained? And in the middle of all this, he randomly turned and attacked an agent? Because, because of his strength, training, and history, they were forced to use lethal force. That's not what I'm questioning, because Todeshev had the kind of history that would put attacking federal agents while unarmed well within the realm of possibility. The guy had a real hair trigger. Um, you know, he could, you know, the slightest thing could set him off, according to records people who knew him, whatever, he would go absolutely ballistic if he heard someone say motherfucker. Um, you know, I mean, he was an extremely volatile man. But there's no record in this case. Everybody seems to believe that he just went off at random, and that would be a major change in behavior for him. Um, maybe someone scrawled that particular obscenity on the form that he was filling out. Um, you know, prior incidents for him have always had a specific trigger, even if it's not something that you or I would see as a call to violence. Um, the most recent one before he was interviewed in his... Orlando home was uh, like there was a minor traffic incident and he beat a man into unconsciousness 
So, you know, I can see where the agents might have been a little bit jumpy. You know, I can, I can get that. But none of those precautions were taken. Um, as I mentioned, the case remains open. It's entirely possible that Tamerlan and Todoshev had nothing to do with the Waltham murders and that they were just being attached to the case to get it off the books, I guess, or because a red herring somehow made these pieces seem to fit and they're not around to correct anything. They're not here to say, okay, well, yeah, we were in the area, but we were just getting pizza. I don't know. Um, but there, I do have a lot of questions a lot of questions, and I know that there are other people who do too. Um, and the thing is, like, that 2011 homicide has largely been obscured by the bombing. And that doesn't really sit right with me either, because those are three people with families who all deserve answers and they didn't deserve to have their tragedy scooped up in this national security nightmare that now really denies them closure. I mean, that could just be me. I don't know. Okay, so there's not a whole lot of personal stories about this case for me. I do remember the marathon bombing. Um, my mom called to make sure that I hadn't been down there. Like, I remember thinking, have you ever known me to run or watch other people run? Um, if you've never been down there for the marathon, it's this huge crowd of people milling around waiting to watch someone run past. Um, it is very much not my cup of tea since I do not watch people run or do crowds well. <laughs> but, you know, for people who are into it, that's great. Um, I don't really know what else to say because it is very much, again, not my cup of tea. Um, the manhunt for the Zarnev brothers was a little different. Um, no one knew where they might be, not at first. So even though they wound up being on the other side of the river, um, we all had to shelter in place down here as well. It was a beautiful day, um, warm, very pleasant. And my daughter was two and she wanted to go outside somewhere to play, uh, but I was having none of that and we had to coop her up indoors. Um, I was running a local nonprofit at the time, and I was trying to coordinate backup plans for an event where we were supposed that we were supposed to be running the next day. Uh, more than half of our membership and all of the volunteers involved with the event lived in the Manhunt area. Uh, you know, the area where they did invent where they were eventually caught. Um, to include our cook, who couldn't get to the grocery store because we were all sheltering in place. Um, but everything worked out. I don't remember hearing anything about a triple homicide in Waltham in 2011. 
Um, which is definitely odd because murders are pretty rare in the Boston area anyway. Um, not that they don't happen, but they're pretty unusual and they're usually limited to one or two neighborhoods. Um, Waltham is a pretty peaceful suburb, so if something happens there, it stands out. Um, it's got tech companies right near the highway, a couple of colleges, and a pretty great specialty vet hospital. Um, if you really need them, it's great to have them there. Um, go Blue Pearl. Once you get away from the highway, it's a pretty picturesque New England town with a fairly low crime rate. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. I did get lost with the dog there once and we wound up on the grounds of the Mass State Hospital. Uh, that was kind of terrifying, but, um, but we survived. Um, murder, like I said, murder is really rare in this area. It's a lot safer than other, you know, comparably sized cities. So a triple slaying should have stood out for me, but I don't know, maybe I was having an off day whatever. I don't remember hearing about it at all. And again, that's just very, very odd. But for it to tie in, for it to tie into something like this is just mind-boggling. about all we have for tonight. We've still got a few minutes before last call, but there's not a lot more for me to say about the Waltham triple slaying. Uh, if you're super interested, like I mentioned before, a local journalist who is also friends with Eric Wiseman has written a book about the murders. Her name is Susan Zalkond, and the book is at, due out on June 7th, 2022. You can pre-order it through Amazon. Um, I've already done so, like I mentioned. Uh, thanks for being here tonight and putting up with my voice. Um, I've already spoken more than I usually do in a week, and <laughs> it shows. So uh, join us next week for more true crime, good company, and tasty beverages. Have a great week. <music>